Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. We're back. Did you miss us? I missed you. Thanks, Francis. So this is the Wild Ones podcast, the show where we chat about bike stuff. It's episode 36. I'm Jimmy. I'm here with producer Emily and Francis is back in the room. Ooh. He's like the new Elvis. What? Well, you're back in, back. No, what, what's, what's the Elvis thing? Elvis has left the building. building. He leaves buildings. You're the anti-Elvis. Yeah, but he's in the building before he leaves them. <laughs> I assume he was, yeah. <laughs> so what's been going on? I was, I've been away for a long time. How long have I been away? Six weeks. Seven weeks. Ages. No, I had a great time. Been spending some time with my family because uh, my dad's uh, unwell at the moment. Um, so I'm just spending lots of time together and I got married. That was also good. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I gave you a secret mission before you left to make friends with um, Tom Hanks. Did you succeed? No, um, I didn't meet any celebrities. We were in Los Angeles for the audience at home. However, my dad did. He had breakfast with Arnie. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes. The Arnie. And when I say with, I mean kind of sat near him at <laughs> breakfast in a hotel. <laughs> but close enough to see what he ate for breakfast. Two boiled eggs. Is that it? Yeah. I'm surprised. It's a high protein diet, isn't it? Do you think that's just his like outward breakfast and actually he's just like scoffing protein bars all the time? Well, you were telling me earlier he eats a, a, a copious amount of salmon. Well, yeah, that was based on a, a story which was heard word of mouth from about eight years ago when he was promoting veganism. Salmon's not vegan. This was while I was uh, working at Lab Bible. They do a format that's about eating different foods from around the world. And I don't know whether the production team got the wrong end of the stick, but they were pretty convinced that Arnie was vegan. I think he'd, I think he'd said something like, I'm practically vegan. So they'd panicked and gone out and got loads of vegan versions of food for this uh, sure they were about to do with him but then they took him out for dinner the night before and he apparently ordered like a whole salmon and they were like okay fine he's clearly not vegan a whole salmon a jug of whiskey and a cigar probably i don't think that no no no. cowboy boots almost definitely he wears cow- that's his th- he's got like a massive collection of cowboy boots does he yeah is that what he wears when he's terminator probably hmm. i want your boots close your boots in your motorcycle yeah, he so- even lists boots in that yeah. specifically 
the boots. But not necessarily cowboy boots, because there's also motorcycle boots. It doesn't count boots as clothes. Should we move on to some news? Let's do it. <laughs> so, do you remember last year that we talked about the beef between Zwift and Wahoo? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Bro. I'm, hey, I haven't been in the podcast in a while, right? I forgot I was supposed to respond. I was enjoying my heated seat. <laughs> so Wahoo launched legal action against Zwift in 2022, claiming the Zwift Hub Turbo Trainer was a ripoff of the Kicker Core. The case was then mysteriously dropped with little information about what would happen next. Well, we finally know the answer because the brands have now just joined forces to release the Wahoo Kicker Court Zwift 1. Catchy name. It's basically a kicker court with a Zwift cog, which is essentially a single spro sprocket that allows virtual shifting. Zwift is now selling the trainer on its website along with Wahoo's full range of turbos. I've got a question. You were on a call, a top secret call with Zwift, weren't you? Yeah. For the PR stuff about this cog thing yep. how does the cog does it connect to whatever shifting system you have or does it have a separate like button thing you put on your handlebars it has Can a you separate remember? button you put on your handlebars okay it's one gear that when you press it it changes the resistance rather than it moving a mech so it like virtually changes yeah, the yeah, resistance yeah, yeah yeah it's that inside the turbo trainer somehow yeah. Like erg mode. It just uses erg mode to yeah. like, boop, 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 but in stages. Yeah. Uh, so it does work with any bike. I think that's the idea of it, that you can just chuck any bike on and it'll work. So if you've got different types of bikes. I think that call, I think that thing, it was like their official media, like launch information. I think that was like September, maybe October, September, October. And there was zero mention of Wahoo. They were just like, you know, we've got this new turbo and this new thing and blah, 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 blah. So Either well, I'm assuming it was heavily embargoed or they just didn't know at that point, which is quite interesting. The idea of Zwift not only having a Wahoo collab trainer, but also selling the full range of turbos on their website might not seem like a big deal. But Zwift, I remember we had a meeting with Zwift maybe like 10 years ago or something. And their whole principle was about being hardware agnostic, for a better term, because they don't want to piss off Garmin by going Wahoo heavy and they don't want to piss off Wahoo by going Garmin heavy and all the other turbo trainers that are coming up. That was always the thing, wasn't it? But to be fair though, I guess that's a long time ago in their trajectory, but it- Nah, it since then they had, they had plans for a whole bike you could buy as a Zwift bike. And there was like those blueprint, well, like um, production images, you know, pre-production mock-ups of- this weird bike that you could have in your house. But them having their own products doesn't alienate the industry. Them having such a strong tie to Wahoo, you know, like if I was Garmin, I would be going like, well, I don't really want to be promoting Zwift because I'm There's then also reason. promoting Wahoo. Exactly. Um, it'd be interesting to see what happens to the landscape because it feels like it's going to force the other trainer manufacturers to look at alternative things or, or perhaps eventually, I can't imagine anyone's going to make any quick, brash moves because it just doesn't make sense to because Zwift have got the monopoly on digital training. It might be, and this is speculation, it might be that in the future, you know, if you have a Wahoo, you tend to go with Zwift. If you have a tax, you might go with a different sort of training platform. It yeah. might become a lot more split because we've seen tra other training platforms start to bubble up nothing's competed with swift yet but it might destabilize swift a little bit you can't change from swift though once you've got level 30 
True. You're going to throw that all away. Start from scratch. No. Nope. I did have a go on the tax app the other day. And it was a lot better than I was expecting it to be. I just kind of assumed that all software that wasn't Zwift was just going to be absolutely junk. I think it might even use like Google Maps. So I think you can kind of ride a Google Map route. I've probably got that wrong, but it, there was definitely a thing I was looking at and you were riding along the promenade in, I think, Barcelona. And there's just like people with faces blurred out. <laughs> oh, maybe they, probably, they have to blow the faces. Or maybe it's not Google Maps. Maybe they actually just record it. Yeah, yeah, as, yeah. As But like the faster a, you ride, the faster the video goes. So if you're really, yes, if you're yeah, super yeah. slow, then yeah. everyone's walking in slow motion next to you. Kind of <laughs> yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've done a, a climb. Yeah. So I did a, a bit more digging into Zwift and the position that they're in. So what I found out is... Uh, this the source of this information is mostly from Zwift Insider, which is independently owned and operated from Zwift. In March 2020, they laid off a lot of execs. May 22, they laid off 150 staff, which was 20% of the workforce, and that was because they were pausing development on their hardware. Then March last year, they laid off 80 staff, um, mostly in the marketing and creative departments and had a big executive reshuffle, brought in some execs from Amazon. Then they have very, in the last few days, also announced that they're laying off another batch of people. DC Rainmaker claims that virus source, there's going to be over 100 redundancies coming in the next couple of weeks. I just realized I did see a celebrity in LA. <laughs> oh, God's sake. Eric Min. Did you? Yeah. You should have asked him about this then. We were on a ride. I was with Lucy. She's waving. And I was like, oh, no. I just waved. didn't know who it was. And she goes, that was Eric Min. I've never met him before. We follow well, each other. Though. Well, well, at least this interruption was relevant. Yeah. The same sort of level as Arnie in uh, celeb status. Well, only in the cycling world. Mm. Eric Min is the CEO of Swift. Yeah. Just for context. <laughs> I, I just had to Google that. I didn't know who you were talking about. So Zwift have raised 620 million US dollars of investment over the years. Their last round was in 2020, which presumably was to push the hardware stuff. Uh, they have not been profitable. They have a valuation of one billion US dollars. Um, there's a few random sources on the internet which suggest that their revenue is around 100 million, but that could just be completely made up. So, I think there's one of two things happening at the minute at Zwift. Either they're setting up for an IPO. So essentially floating the company on the stock market to try and recover some money for their investors. Presumably, they've got a load of VC investors which are going like, well, we've given you 620 million. When do we get our 4 billion back? Um, I actually think this is unlikely. I think actually what is happening is they are running out of money or they're running out of runway, as it's referred to, which is essentially their investment capital. And they are leaning up the business to either bring in some more investment or to ultimately push their run route further. It's very typical in tech for them to get a, a, a bucket ton of investment and it's you basically burn it until you and hope that you can turn the business profitable and then float, um, which they are yet to do. So I think it's actually quite an interesting period for Zwift because we are either going to find that they are going to do everything they can to massively expand so that they start turning a profit or we might find that they start to struggle. It'd be interesting to see what happens. Speaking of trainers, did you see that uh, Peloton is struggling? Good. Yeah. And it's I saw a thing on Cycling Week, and it said, uncertain future for Peloton as share price plummets. And the quote they picked out from Peloton's CEO is, if we're not failing, we're not being aggressive enough. 
And that is Outrageous that is some spin, well. isn't it? That is a way of turning a negative into a positive. So Zwift probably won't want to ex to to talk about it or talk about the comparison externally because how bad Peloton's share price has plummeted over the last, I think, 18 months. But essentially, they are in the same space. Zwift and Peloton are the same structure. They're trying to be the same thing. It's probably why Zwift got a load of money for hardware. It was mm. The industry was going like, right, so you've got really good software that you're nailing. Why wouldn't you also sell a bike product to go along with it? Peloton are a great example of it. I think Peloton's valuation is still in the billions. Yeah, It's still more than Zwift's valuation because I think they do have a decent revenue because they're selling a lot of products and they're capturing a lot of subscriptions. Granted, it's fallen off, but uh, they are ultimately the, the model that Zwift are hoping to emulate minus the 95 or 97% of share price drop-off. I've got a question. Yep. If a Peloton, if Peloton went bust, yep. or if they decided they just didn't want to carry on, mm -hmm. would everyone's Peloton bike stop working? No, they would have a very expensive basic spinning bike that they could still use. You can still ride on it, but it just doesn't give you any... But it isn't, it isn't smart. No, it's not exactly. That's it's, what it's I mean. A, it's a hand... You're relying on the software... To, oh, it's a hand, it's, what, it's a twisting thing, like a spin bike. As far as I'm aware, a Peloton bike is a bog-standard spinning bike with a hand-controlled resistance. And a screen on it. But what you're really paying for is the access to live training sessions, which you can just, quite often they have them at gyms, especially yeah. in London. Every gym that I used in London had these kind of spinning classes where you've got uh, an instructor, a high-energy instructor, which is basically going, turn it up to eight, get out of the saddle. You know, like, like I've, I've done some of those sessions. They mess you up. They're hard. <laughs> okay. They're not comparable to riding a bike. Kim, do you, remember, a different do, you, thing. do you know Kim nonstop? I know who she is, yeah. Yeah, so she uh, used to race Red Hook and stuff back in the day. Um, and she got a job, I think it's for Apple. And she does, so you subscribe to some sort, of, I think it's maybe Apple TV, it comes with Apple TV. And she is the person that every week, a couple of times a week, you get a new video of her hosting yep. a spin class. And it's like up to date. So she has a full-time job doing those those spins mm -hmm. and other stuff. And then you, when you, every time you log in, because you got a subscription, it's a new workout, relevant, you know, it's, you're seeing the same person, it's kind of cool. Yeah, I subscribed to that. Do you? I did, I stopped. So you could go on, you go on one of the taxes. Yeah. And watch Kim nonstop. Yeah, I was doing. They do like Pilates and yoga and What's stuff. What's the service? Is it Apple TV? It's or sports. Apple Health Plus, I think it's called something like that. I wonder how many she does. I went for a ride with her after not seeing her for a long time. She lives in Los Angeles, and she was like, "Oh, I'm not riding very much at the moment." So I was like, "Okay, we can nice and chill." She's not riding outside Outdoors. very much at the moment. <laughs> She's so strong because it's just hours upon hours of like riding flat out. Yeah. Shouting at people. Yeah. So in other news, oh, I think I've gone too far. When are we launching Cade Media Plus where we charge people an introductory offer of six pounds for live streams of uh, Jimmy's face where you wear some sort of GoPro that constantly points at you and it's 24 hour live stream? 24 hour? Yeah. What's the purpose? I don't know. People pay money and they can watch everything Jimmy does, but only his face. Oh, so next up, <laughs> charging your electronic shifters might be about to get a whole lot easier. We've just found out SRAM has had a patent. Oh, people go nuts at me for the way I say patent. patent. Yeah. Patent. 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 Patent? Patent. I'm going to stick with it. Patent. We found out SRAM have had a patent granted for a solar panel that could connect to your frame, water bottle, or mudguard and charge your batteries. The system wouldn't charge the opponent 
component directly. Instead, it's designed to charge a spare battery for a derailleur or dropper post. So when you run out of juice, you swap the batteries over. Good. So I had a th- some thoughts about this, and I, I searched this morning, how long does a SRAM battery last? And they claim that it lasts for 60 hours of riding. So in what scenario would you need a spare battery on a ride? And pretty much the only thing I can think of is off-grid bike packing. Uh, no, because 60 hours sounds great. But what if you have multiple bikes and you leave them and the, the battery goes down, the battery drains without you using it. So I'm constantly having to remember, I like set alarms if I remember the day before. Like, I need to make sure I put this battery on charge if we have a fresh battery for going out, right? I've run out of battery loads with SRAM. So you- Whereas DI2, never, because it lasts a million times longer. But surely you'd be better off getting one of those four block battery chargers and either just when you finish a ride or every now and again, you just bang them in there or having a couple of extra batteries just live in there. There's surely not a scenario where you're out and you go, oh, there's my 60 hours up. Because even on a bikepacking trip, you just charge every couple of days. There are some people in this world that will, no matter what solutions they put in place, to stop it from happening will forget to charge their batteries and then they'll end up out, out on a ride and it will me yeah lawrence lawrence has done a premiere calendar with a battery pack in his pocket connected to his di2 <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's just, but, it's like it just happens it's still going to happen some people just can't are not organized in that way uh, our, our brains that don't work in that way sorry so i was actually thinking the only i i was thinking that maybe this is more than it appears to be and i was thinking that maybe it is going to be more of a battery pack so essentially you solar charge a battery which you can chuck into a dropper or a mech but maybe there's going to be the option of plugging something into it so that you could charge your light whilst you're bike packing or your head unit so maybe it is actually going to be more because it feels to me like if the only thing it does is allow me to switch out a battery into one of my mechs or a dropper post then it's nearly redundant. It's so niche. It's like so unbelievably niche. You would get one because you'd be like, well, I was a get And then you'd probably forget to put the mug guard on. The- you'd have to get one for every bike. <laughs> I'm not going to put a mug guard on my bike either. So it'd have to be a bottle. It's extra stuff. No extra stuff. Yeah. I don't know. If you're bikepacking, like you were saying, and you're serious about it, people run dynamos, which are really good. I know this is not overrated, underrated, but I think they're underrated. Hmm. Because they don't really give you much more drag, especially in the situation where you're bikepacking, you're not racing, you know, mm. uh, and, and still the ultra races use dynamos. Yep. And you've got your lights plugged in, you've got your, um, you can charge things, whatever you want. You can just plug it in with a normal cable like iPhone you, you into may your have, dynamo thing. You, you probably, well, I'm hoping you, you listen to the Wild Ones podcast whilst you're away. And we're just going to, we're not, I don't want to know the answer. We're just going to assume that you did. <laughs> You'll probably remember that Nick and I had a conversation about our like perfect winter bike. And I want I want to build a winter bike that has dynamos and it's just permanently set up with front bike, front light, rear light, head you just all just like wired in and just runs off a dynamo. I think that'd be sick. I do I do like dynamos. Yeah, I love but that bit of the podcast. I hope I hope that 
they are going to make it something that charges a battery and then that battery can also act as a battery pack. But I don't think it would have enough charge, but we'll just negate That's that. That's the other problem. It would take so long to get even one SRAM battery's worth of charge. Is hours and hours and hours and hours and Six, hours. Of 60 sun. hours. 60 hours. <laughs> Is that what you said earlier? Yeah, well, that's how a lot, much one lasts. So, so as long oh, as it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, in other news, women's pro cycling is having what some people are calling its Le Monde moment. So, what does that actually mean? Basically, it's been reported that pro rider Demi Vollering, who is one of the best riders in the world right now, has just been offered a reported one million euros per year to join UAE Team ADQ. Last year, she won the Tour de France Femme, Strada Bianca, Liège-Baston-Liège, Tour de Romandie, the Dutch National Road Race Champs, and more. That was a, that was a, Smashed a, it. a massive tongue twister for me there. Nice. This new offer from UAE Team ADQ is being called a Le Mans moment for women's cycling because Greg Le Mans was famously <coughs> the first pro cyclist to get paid a million dollars by his team back in the 80s. It is quite wild that that was the eighties, <laughs> where, where a million pound, a million dollars was. What does it say? Euros. A million whatevers was significantly more than a million now. Yeah, <laughs> that was a lot of money. So it was a pivotal moment for the sport and is a promising sign for the future. One of her teammates was questions about it during a press conference last week. She acknowledged that Demi was absolutely worth it, but also made the point that the distribution of the money within the peloton is just as important, if not more important, than the growth of the top riders' salaries. It is great that finally that side, the women's side of cycling, is growing and uh, gives a much better platform and career for people to get into. What a cool thing to look up to. Yeah, I know. For young I, girls. I, 100%. And it's like, oh, that's a legit, like, I could be, not only can you have a career, but you can make it. You're so right. I feel like when I was, I was, as a young kid, I was so, so into sport. Mm. I was obsessed with Sunderland football team. I used to live and breathe in my full Sunderland kit. But there really wasn't, I feel like there wasn't women's sports, not on TV. So uh, women's football is right now is like it's buzzing, massive. right? It's huge, okay. yeah. And like they're selling out games and, you know, women's uh, World Cup and that kind of thing, which I I watch now, but I don't think, I don't think that was ever, that wasn't ever televised. That wasn't really a, women and girls growing up now, as you say, just have such a different perspective and it's exciting, isn't it? And that, that trickles through, that has an effect mm. in, you know, decades time. It's literally how it grows. Yeah, because they they will those people will be twenty, yeah, <laughs> and they'll be really into sport, and that's great. But, but it also creates more of a realistic proposition because historically, like you know, if if you wanted to be a professional women's cyclist, you had to go. Well, I know I'm going to make basically nothing to be able to do it. It's a gamble, isn't it? Well, it, well it's it's more than a gamble. Like even if you're at the top yeah, end, yeah. you're probably there because you found a way to be able to make it work financially. Mm -hmm. Whereas it having money in the sport uh, and prize money and salaries that are actually worthy of, of the amount of effort that goes into it, then it gives you a chance of actually going, well, you know, I'm not realistically going to be the best in the world, but if I'm one of the top 50, top 100 female cyclists of all time or of the year, then I'm going to make enough money that actually makes it worth all of the effort. It's definitely picking up pace now. It's not a linear growth at all, is it? It's just getting faster and faster. It's picking up momentum. Mm. What other graph types do you know? 
Um, <laughs> Stick with that one then. <laughs> not not linear. <laughs> a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now on to our big question. I feel like we've covered loads before we've got here. This is going to be a hench boy. I feel like we've only done five minutes. What the hell is the enhanced games and is it a good idea? Oh, geez. There's a controversial new sporting event launching. It's called the Enhanced Games. the The name really suggests. I I I feel I know where this is going. This is what everyone in school was like. Why doesn't this exist? In school, what school did you go to? The Enhanced School of Surrey. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically a doping friendly sports competition that's just had a bunch of money chucked behind it by some venture capitalists. Aussie Olympic swimmer James Magnusson says he would come on board as their first athlete. He even recently claimed, <laughs> this is ridiculous, I'll juice to the gills <laughs> in, an attempt, in an attempt to break a world record and earn $1 million. That is, uh, that is quite clever, though, saying to the gills, because it's kind of implying that by doing the juice, he might develop gills. Mm. Like X-Men. Or like uh, Kevin Costner in Waterworld. This is a film before both of your time. I bet All he has to do is inject himself you... with fish DNA. I've watched Waterworld. Have you? Awful film though, isn't it? What? <laughs> it's absolutely incredible. It's like a Mad Max, but water. Oh, you are. You're, you're going to upset a lot of people. Three times Olympic gold medal swimmer Liesl Jones has also come out saying she's not against the cons- concept, suggesting it might actually keep clean sport clean. It won't. It won't. Surely if you want to cheat, the whole point is to get an advantage. There's also been some backlash over safety concerns. UK anti-doping said a competition like this would be unsafe and dangerous to athletes' health. Meanwhile, the website for the Enhanced Games makes the extraordinary claim that the sports can actually be safer without drug testing. The blurb at the top of the site reads, when 44% of athletes already use performance enhancements, it's time to safely celebrate science. I, I do like the concept. Duke 44% is... Massively under, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I like the idea of celebrating science because science is unbelievable and the stuff that it can, it can achieve is incredible. But I just don't see how it is ever going to be possible to do it in a safe way. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the bit that is like unbelievably concerning. So organizers say that the competition competition even will be the safest international sporting event in history with competitors undergoing medical screening before competition. So I guess they're working on the basis that the medical screening will be the test to see if someone's healthy or not. I'm guessing they're not going to allow unhealthy people to compete. I don't know how they're planning to work that into it. Um, the event would not be subject to world anti-doping agency rules and any times will not be official. So some, so I guess an event that we have seen over the last couple of years that have not been official world records have been 
the marathon world record attempts. Where he's drafting. With the special he, shoes. Uh, keep, 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 keep jogi. Jogi. He drafted some people, didn't he? He was paced the whole way. Well, yeah, but I think pacing and drafting is technically allowed in racing because you can obviously sit in a bunch. Your competitor, but the people he was drafting, they would like switch out and stuff so they could run the same pace. Yeah. Whereas in a race race, it's just the competitors you're allowed to draft. Otherwise, you get the loose situation where you get people cheating and coming in who aren't actually in the event. Yeah. Whereas his one was people coming in specifically to run the pace he had to run. Yeah, I guess that's an example of a space that... They set the fastest time ever, but it's not an official world record. So I, so perhaps things like that are kind of what have inspired this, like what other options, what other things can be achieved. Um, I, as I said earlier, I, I just don't see how it can be safe. I, I just feel like it's going to push people too far. And very quickly, there's going to be people dying or being seriously, seriously ill slash injured. And then it's going to have to shut down, surely. The name and the branding when 44% of athletes already use performance enhancements, blah, 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 is pretty wild. It's like they are just... I think the reason it'll have got good VC backing is people are going to watch it. Exactly. I'm going to tune in even if I'm not... I'm undecided on whether it's ethical. (laughs) You can't look away. Yeah, Yeah, I definitely couldn't look away. Something I think I'm seeing more and more of recently, and I'm sure it's always been there, is this idea that... um, Money is being put towards sporting events and trying to make the sporting events more exciting or have an angle. So I think, but I think one from maybe what is it, twenty years ago, whatever. There was, um, I can't remember what it's called. It's like the fifty-fifty cricket. They basically made a version of cricket that was much faster, and the idea is that it would be more exciting, and then tried to. develop the game in a way that kind of made it more interesting for spectating. I guess it's normal. Formula One has changed loads of times. They've made changes again to try and make it a more exciting sport. Rugby has changed loads over the last few years because they're trying to make the game faster so that it's more entertaining and just keep the game flowing so that younger people are going to not switch out, uh, which I guess is the opposite of a lot or a handful of American sports. Well, I guess most notably American football, because it is famously slow. You know, it takes three, four hours for a game to go through because there's so many starts and stops. Whereas a lot of sport is trying to kind of make things more exciting faster. People try to do it in cycling or they try to try something new in cycling with Hammer Series. Right. Do you remember that? It sounds familiar. And it's what like was it, it was all a team-based thing where the team time trials, everyone was on the road at the same time and they were like overtaking each other, but they weren't allowed to draft each other and sure and it was very strange but i never watched it people who told me about it said it was really good and they were sad that it disappeared well i I get uh top end competitive triathlon is kind of well sort of more in that space what is really exciting about the triathlon stuff uh, at that like elite olympic level uh, olympic distance not olympic as in the olympics is that drafting is legal so you had drafting in the swimming drafting on the bikes drafting in the run yeah. and it was just such a wicked entertaining sport it is really really good the drug side of it's dodgy though isn't it a lot of these medicines that they're going to be taking i was reading a thing about on the bbc and it was kind of saying even if they have had clinical trials for their actual medical use they haven't had clinical trials for what they are going to be used for yeah. and actually a lot of them haven't had any clinical trials and surely there's going to be a lot of money involved with people who are administering this doping so i don't know i feel like when money leads medicine that's 
never a good thing either. I think the biggest problem they're going to have is actually getting people to sign up. Potentially ex-sports people who aren't in the limelight. But if you're a practicing pro sports person, are you going to go, yeah, I'll dope? Well, no, they're not. Because the then spot, the spotlight's kind of on you. You need either everyone to go at once so they have enough people to put this game on or you open your up, yourself up to potentially having the finger pointed at you. Oh, well, why are you so keen to dope? I, it, it's, it's, I think it's almost never going to be existing. You think it'll just be random people? Who yeah, because bear in mind, once you do it, you can't go back. Well, I guess you'd have to repass tests. But, but ultimately, like... I think it's it's going to be people I would imagine that are at the late the latter end of their career, and there's the opportunity to make a big pot of cash because it's if there's if there's millions millions of dollars worth of, of prize money, then you know you might have spent your whole career on two hundred grand a year, and you go well if I dope the hell out of myself for the next two years i might get myself two million quid in two years this is it you can you can imagine there'll be a lot of money behind it because it's almost it reminds me sort of of the jake paul fighting competitions they sell that pay-per-view and they make millions and millions per thing because it's almost like you can't look away a spectacle isn't yeah, it? yeah it's a spectacle and i imagine that i mean no linear traditional tv channel is going to take this on you won't see it on the bbc but it might be a pay-per-view thing on the internet that it will definitely be that will make a substantial amount of money it, it reminds me a little bit of isle of man tt yeah the same sort of person who would do it as in you've been a is it moto gp i, I see uh, where you so they start now. off with like the f1 version of motorbikes is it f1 is it moto gp is that what it's called uh yeah i think so and then the riders who are getting close to the end of their career often start racing isle of man tt which is a race around the isle of man it's incredibly dangerous on isn't it? O- on uh on normal roads but ridiculous speeds and they have to get the turns down to absolute perfect but i think every year people die because it's so dangerous chris hall's dad has raced that he's raced that so francis you have long joked with me about getting a course of epo now is your chance. Uh, for clarification, I didn't actually do that. No, but you've joked about wanting to do it. No, I haven't. Yes, you have. Loads of times. No, I've joked about Lawrence being put on EPO. Lots of times you've said, and wouldn't it be a great video series if I do a course of EPO <laughs> and we'll see what happens? Well, you've been an elite like cyclist. Like that guy from, uh, what's it Icarus. called? Icarus. Yeah, we'll get you some well, EPO. We'll get you some test boosters. We'll get you on the enhanced games and you'll win. Perfect. Million, million bucks. And you have to give it all to charity. <laughs> oh, sweet. <laughs> Otherwise, you're a monster. I'm game. Um, I was chatting to Lawrence about it and you about the, the conversation came up, which is what you're talking about. Icarus. There's a documentary on Netflix where a guy dopes for the Grand Fondo National Champs, I think it is, or Grand Fondo World Champs. It's not the official name. But he starts off as an okay amateur bike racer and tries to dope to get to a certain watts per kilo so he can win this thing and then it ends up being uh, the story twists and uh am i spoiling the documentary for people I mean, it's, at been, home out long it's time. been out a long time he ends up getting the help from a russian uh doctor and then he unveils this huge russian doping scandal and the documentary changes completely and they just focus on that but you never saw really what was going to happen with the guy who was doping and documenting it and I still think that's an interesting thing to experiment. Yeah. Not on me, please. Let's do it to Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> For clarity, this is a joke. I wouldn't do it because you'd probably die. 
like the people in these games might. It's too unknown, isn't it? I remember listening to a Lance Armstrong documentary where he, when he finally came out and revealed that he was doping, and I'm sure he was asked because he was taking hormones, t- testosterone, and growth hormone, growth hormone. And he was talking about the possible links between that and his cancer. Obviously, that's not, it's not definitive, but hormones have a huge effect on your body as well. So it's just, you don't know, you have no idea mm. what the actual effects of these things are going to be. Talk L- to any like- Short term or long term. Used to work as a lifeguard in a gym and a load of the guys there would like be on steroids and stuff. And all of them now- look back and go like, I wish I'd never done that. Yeah. Like, and they have lasting effects and it's just, it's just messed them up. And this is it. There's a lot of ways to get money. And I'm sure it's hard if, you know, you sport is your passion and you really want to make it your career and someone's dangling a load of money at you to do something. You go, oh, F it, I'll do it. But there's a lot of dangerous ways to make money, which you might regret. Fitness influences as well. That's oh, totally. Because they have to, basically their job is to look fit. Yeah. And as we know, looking like an athlete for an extended period of time is not realistic. Like athletes, go, even uh, cyclists, it's a gravity sport, you've got to be lean, yeah. In the off-season, no one stays that leanness because it's just not sustainable. Whereas whoever does fitness at, you know, on Instagram has to look ripped all the time. Well, I guess they edit the photos with Photoshop as well, but... It's a weird but pressure. Fantastically unhealthy. Oh, yeah, 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 really bad. Time for a round of overrated or underrated. I'm going to read out a list of things, and you're going to tell me if you think they are overrated or underrated. First up is cycling-specific glasses. So this is, a, this is a, so many S's. This is a suggestion by JJ who says, as someone who wears prescription glasses, do I need cycling-specific glasses? Does it keep my eyes from watering? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it does. I have ridden with non-cycling specific glasses loads of times and I always end up with water streaming down my face or tears running down my face and it's not because I'm suffering on the bike. Uh, The main reason I actually moved to cycling specific glasses and it's arguably for the same reason but it's not is about eight years ago I started completely randomly getting really bad hay fever that I never used to (laughs) have. I thought you were going to say that. And I remember George Galbraith our friend was like, oh yeah, I get really bad hay fever. I always wear wraparound sunglasses because they stop pollen getting into my eyes. And I was like, oh, I guess I should buy some. And I bought a set and I still have them now. And I use them specifically for that reason. So generally in like winter or bad weather, in winter, I ultimately don't wear glasses that often. But if you are going to, will they stop your eyes from watering? Yes, if they're big wraparound ones. You can get very cheap ones that don't look horrendous these days as well, which wasn't always the case. And... With prescription glasses, they're glass. Were you doing me a secret signal then, eating your microphone, or were you? Was that just? I was just <laughs> eating it. Yeah. Oh, you snack. mean as in like actual proper spectacles? Yeah, have glass I mean, lenses. okay, not everyone rides a bike the same way, but if I'm out on a road ride, I don't want glass on my face because yeah. if I did crash, slim chance, but it would shatter. And it, yeah, plastic is the the purpose made cycling glasses don't shatter. I would say as a glasses wearer prescription i i actually talked about prescription different types of prescription glasses in an old episode if you go to cade media extra and scroll down we put clips out and you'll be able to find one there um but prescription glasses are quite expensive 
most people I know and myself wear contact lenses with normal glasses over the top. If you're comfortable... Cycling specific glasses over the top. Yes, exactly. If you're comfortable wearing contacts, perhaps do that and borrow someone's cycling glasses and see what it feels like. Uh, That's definitely going to give you... It's going to make your eyes water way less. Uh, But I have done rides with my normal glasses on and it is fine. It is fine. I, I I would say I choose to wear cycling specific glasses more as a fashion thing rather than a comfort thing. Can I say on that note, I choose to not wear cycling specific glasses as a fashion thing. You want to wear Wayfarers. I just, yeah, I typically, I, I often wear just normal sunglasses. Mm. I probably shouldn't. Yeah, I just want to blend in. You like to peacock, don't you? <laughs> you could, you can get plastic, plasticky, normal looking sunglasses. And then it's best of both worlds. Yeah. But the, the the wind does go in. Yeah, it does. Yeah, you'll get you'll get eye waters. Mm. Next up, pannier bags. This one was sent in by Hauk, who says, apart from the very good but really expensive tail fin products, I feel that trunk trunk bags are often ridiculed in the community. For most, only a saddle bag counts, affectionately referred to as an ash racket. Ash racket. Which is arse rocket in German. However, these are usually cumbersome to pack. They wobble on the saddle, and when fully loaded, they're not so easily detachable. All fair points. Trunk bags, on the other hand, don't wobble, are easy to pack, can be easily detached, and still remain in the slipstream of the body. What do we think is the reason for their low popularity? Is it the luggage rack, additional cost, the massive marketing of saddlebags, aesthetic reasons, or there's simply a disadvantage to trunk bags that I'm not aware of? Thank you for the wonderful podcast. I always look forward to new episodes. Best regards from Leipzig. The road cycling world is obsessed with weight. Traditional pannier racks and panniers are typically very heavy and are often found on heavy touring bike setups. I have used a tail fin many times and what I know about pannier bags is they are better than traditional bike mounted luggage. So I would always pick a pannier over a saddle bag if I was doing a long trip. If I could afford it, I would go for the lightest one I could get hold of because in the grand, if I, if, it, if it's going to save me three kilos, I'm going to be thankful of that when I'm riding up the climbs on my trip. If it's going to save me 500 grams, I'm not going to notice it. Saddle bags are trendy and fashionable and bucket loads of marketing was thrown into them at various points because they allowed for lightweight packing of I, I'm uh, like at least in ultra marathon space I don't know if it's the same with like TCR and things like that is there compulsory kit you have um, to carry like a safety jacket and things like n- that uh, some of them uh, particularly in France you have to have a high vis something yeah. even if it's just like the straps that you wear on top of a jacket like they hand them out at the start of the races so that's it i think one of the reasons they grew in popularity is you had the the people that were getting attention from the old ultra distance cycling events were the people that were doing it as fast as they possibly could, which meant they were carrying as little as they possibly could. So they wanted a tiny bag that meant that they could stuff a down jacket in and a sleeping mat so that they could just throw themselves on the side of the road. They didn't want an extra five kilos of luggage. They wanted to be light and efficient, but they wanted to carry more than 
what would fit in a jersey pocket. So I think you had these like people which were coming through 10 years ago, which were doing like really cool, interesting stuff that wanted really small luggage. I think a typical person on a bikepacking trip, it doesn't really make a difference. And you just, just use what you can afford and you like the look of. I think panniers are great. For the, these fast people who they're riding normal, there's normal bikes. They're riding bikes without pannier racks on, without the mounts on. Yeah. So you have to use either a seat pack, one of these things that's a pain in the ass to pack and swings around, or later the tail fin, which is what came up. And that's a solution which is the kind of the best, but is really expensive. Again, well, ultimately because they're they're prioritizing performance there, therefore they want a fast bike, which typically isn't one which is loaded with with uh, rack mounts. Yeah, typically a, a bike with mounts will be a steel frame, a bit heavy. The, there'll be editions of TCR where people are riding like full-on like aero road bikes. Carbon frames, yeah, yeah. yeah. I would say even outside of that, though, if you're coming to cycling from a road cycling background, you've probably got a bike that doesn't fit pannier racks. If you've come to it specifically from a touring bike, you might have that. But yeah. say if you've only yeah, got fair. one road bike and your mate goes, oh, I want to start bikepacking or whatever, then you're not going to go out and buy a touring bike. So you, you you do with what you've got. Yeah, yeah, it's true as well, yeah. yeah. That's why I end up, ended up using the tail fin. Yeah. I still, to this day, don't have a bike with proper pannier mounts on yeah and you you because of the stuff that you do you needed space to be able to fit a large laptop yeah so you had to have the pannier ones a pannier yeah yeah and that was the the only option available so what are we saying overrated or underrated 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 as well i agree with you next we have two suggestions from sam the first one is loud free hubs underrated overrated i hate loud free hubs i use it instead of a bell but it's less aggressive to the... Pe- okay, so if you use a bell, if you're riding down a path That's here, so passive aggressive, it's unbelievable. And you ring a bell, the people either go... Well, they hate you for having a bell and they hate you for not having a bell. So you can't win. Whereas if you have a free hub that's clicky, everyone knows you're coming and then they move out of the way and they just... Because they can hear you. That's it. I think there's a third option, which is what I use, which I go, hello, passing on the left or hello, passing on the right. And then they go, why haven't you got a bell? They go, oh, no, they why don't. haven't you got a bell? That's never happened. I, I have had that hundreds of times. It's because you're it's because you're clearly buzz pasting them and then saying it. No, as you're I'm, right I'm shouting them. early so they can hear me, and then they're wondering and they go, oh, and they're shocked and they wonder why they're being shouted at. You and have they're to like, keep oh. saying it. You <laughs> yeah. can't try and get a bell. You're like, you can't shout it time. from 50 <laughs> meters away and then buzz past them and then and then be like, oh, I told there you. There is 50 no meters buzzing away. happening. I'm just telling you my experience. I've done a lot of riding on the off-road paths around here, and that is the clicky free hub. Solves the problem. <laughs> Underrated. Electric cars. No, nothing to add. <laughs> uh, I don't drive. I want to say they are massively underrated. They are. So we have an electric car and a not electric car, and the electric car is unbelievably amazing to drive. I know a lot of there's a, there's there's a lot of this kind of like anti-electric car movement, but every people are going to have cars. So surely an electric car is a better option than a not electric car in the grand scheme of things. I, I, don't, I don't know enough about the science, but as uh, a vehicle to drive, they're great. It would be, I hope technology keeps getting better so drivers n- know on their screen. Like, uh, so I was in, a, um, in LA, everything is a uh, Tesla. So you get an Uber and nine times out of 10, it's a Tesla. And you can see on their iPad in the middle of their car, it beeps and tells you there's a cyclist on the screen and people and all sorts. So I assume more sensors is better. 
as long as it's not a distraction. It's not an electric car. The giant car iPad thing. with Spotify on it in the middle of a car is a distraction, though. Yeah. So there needs to be some sort of rules <laughs> put in place there. There's also fully driverless cars driving around LA. Is there? Yeah. So you're riding along and then there's a driverless... There was two near each other. And they had a drag race. Well, they drive really slowly around. Oh. Like they're, they're obviously not letting them go on any fast roads, but the, that's weird. There was a video which hit the news slash social literally a couple of days ago, actually, about this. It was, I think it was in San Francisco and there was, uh, is it Chinese New Year? Or was it recently Chinese yes. New Year? Year of the Dragon. So I think it was a celebration for that. And there was a driverless car, which was a taxi, yeah. was trying to go down one of the procession, pr pr procession roads and uh, a group of people were really angry by it. Not just, I think they were just like skater kids and they smashed the car up and then set it on fire. And I was just like, what the hell? They've literally just set a taxi on fire. And then it said, this was a driverless vehicle with no one in. I was like, what? So I think it was anti-driverless vehicles was, was, was the sentiment. That does seem scary. I know when we've talked about electric cars before, we've had a couple of comments. We must have said that they were more sustainable or whatever and people were saying in the comments they're not more sustainable because you plug them in it goes off your electricity which is still burnt off fossil fuels but i guess number one you can get green you can go with green companies can't you that use renewable energy yeah a lot of companies now have either a hundred percent renewable tariffs uh some companies have only a hundred yeah in the uk there's there's a handful which are 100% renewable. There's some which have renewable tariffs and there's obviously some which still are just not. But I think if you look into it, a lot of them, at least at the minute or more recently, even the ones that are not renewable ones have a large proportion of renewable energy as part of them. Yeah. Um, in this country. Yeah. You could also, if you're that way inclined, have your own solar panels and charge it off. There are sustainable options for powering your vehicle. Whereas I guess the difference is with petrol or diesel, there is no sustainable way to power it a lot there's a lot of people questioning the battery side of stuff as well right producing a battery the life of a battery but there's how a battery you in a normal a car uh, not comparable in terms of um the resources required to produce it mm. mining lithium isn't it I, there's I'm not even some of them aren't i think there's another thing as well which they are it's not just lithium mm. But ultimately, battery technology is something that people are concerned about with sustainability because I think you also get to a point where it's effectively landfill. But then car, all cars are ultimately end up as ultimate. Oh. It, I feel like we're not qualified well, to talk no, absolutely on this, not. are we? Absolutely not. Let's do the next one. <laughs> oh, wait, that's the end. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> Keep sending your suggestions to wildonespodcast at cavemedia.co.uk and we might read yours out in the next show. Next up, we have Fluff Up of the Week. <laughs> have you read this yet, Francis? So, this is your fault. <laughs> no, it's not. Well, you one, this is your fault, and we're going to settle the we're going to settle things once for all. So, <laughs> I watched. So, whilst you're away, you dropped the, the first edition of the Van Rysel video, where you we got a Van Rysel from Decathlon. It is a sponsored video. Um, and the first video, you out in LA, your first ride, first thought, some specs on the bike. Um, and for some reason, you told the world that you are significantly taller than you actually are, and people called you out for it. <laughs> you measured me. Yeah, I measured you at five foot seven. <laughs> so why did you say five foot ten? Let's let's measure me now. Let's do it. 
Right, what was what was that? You must have got a dodgy tape measure from somewhere. So that that suggested that you are five foot nine and a half. Okay. So you measured me in the studio. Five foot seven. At five ten. Uh when we were together. Because I questioned it when we were so I was at a party in LA and people were like let, for some reason we started it was like 2 a.m so you're just doing weird stuff and we measured <laughs> we measured each other each other's height yeah. <laughs> and i was five nine and i was like how was jimmy an inch wrong like that is ridiculous he wouldn't have i know he's he's i know you're so small that it was quite hard for you to see the reading but an inch is a big a big difference and I Googled because I had this I have this thing in my brain of James. I filmed so many Bike Fit Tuesdays episodes with a bike fitter called James Thomas. And he has this thing where he's like, saddle height. What's the point? There's no point in being millimeter perfect with your saddle height because you're taller in the morning when you wake up than when you go to bed at night. I Googled that and it's true. Up to a centimeter different by lunchtime and up to three centimeters by the end of the day, depending on who you are. It's just different for everyone. So... I'm 5'10 when I wake up. I'm 5'9 at 2 a.m. So Because your, your spine, like, there's just things that compress and you end up shorter. What time of day was it when I measured you at 5'7 then? Early. It was the first thing in the morning. Here. Oh, no. You missed five me. <laughs> <laughs> I'd been awake 50 hours. So, so I, guess the, I guess the context of this conversation is that you said 5'10. What was I then? What, just then? Yeah, just then. Five, five, nine and a half. Five, nine and a half. Halfway and through the day. And it's one o'clock, yeah. There you go. <laughs> and, an, so, and also an inch is two and a half centimetres. So that it does, it's in line with what Google says. So you said you were five foot ten and you got the extra small bike and people were like, how can you be five foot ten and, and get an extra small bike? And I think, so firstly, you exaggerated your height as we've now established. Secondly, have I we? think... I by, think have we? <laughs> <laughs> by half a centimetre. No. Half an inch. Uh, I think the other bit which is missing from that as a piece of information, which you actually probably should have said in the video, mm. is you and I like to ride aggressive bikes. So although you are five foot ten and riding an extra small... No, I physically couldn't ride the small. It's too long. It's a centimetre too long for me. And a centimetre of reach is a f***ing lot of reach. Not if you ride it at 2 a.m. because you're shorter then. No, no, no. In the morning. That'd be even worse. In the morning, oh. it's fine. In the morning, I'll be fine. I'll ride it for about True. an hour and a half before I'm too short. <laughs> this is my morning bike. This is my evening bike. As I have learnt through filming a video with James, which is unreleased, about endurance bikes and the geometry of those endurance bikes from all the big brands, a lot of brands don't make a bike which is suitable for people if you're less than... If you're five foot eight or less you have very limited choice, even in endurance bikes, let alone race bikes. And the Van Rysel is a race bike made for athletes. The RCR is, yeah. The RCR Pro. They make an endurance version. They make an endurance road bike now, which we haven't seen. I haven't actually, like, I haven't even seen the PDF. They sent us some sneaky PDFs of future things. Well, no, no, I think, I think it's an existing bike. Is it? Yeah, so I think the RCR is an update on an old Van Rysel bike. I don't think it's a brand new bike. Yeah. I think it's just it, a new it, version of it. If it's similar, it. so there's going to be a video with James where we cover this. And actually the, the lower end triban that we looked at the geometry chart for was really good. It's one of the endurance bikes, which is short enough for people. And I hope 
the higher end one that you're talking about there has the same geometry. No idea. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, the race bike's a race bike. Now for some more listeners takeover. Hi all. I just wanted to say a massive thank you for raising the issue of men's health, especially mental health. Everything you said rang very true with my own recent issues and more needs to be done in the media to keep people aware of what's out there. Back in September last year, I was on a sun lounger by a pool in Tunisia when all of a sudden I started to cry. I thought nothing of it until I was back in the UK and driving home from my first day back at work. Suddenly I thought, how much of a car crash do I need to have to not go to work? I was completely shocked by this and realised something was wrong. I spoke to my partner, friends and boss and then contacted my GP. The NHS were very quick to get me an assessment and the support I needed. Having since been diagnosed with depression and anxiety, I feel I have been very fortunate to have such good support. Not everyone is as lucky as me and your podcast is doing a great job at spreading the word. Thank you, Andy. Thanks, Andy. I feel like what he's saying thank you to is you guys while I was away. (laughs) Well, no, because you had some really good chats with Nick and uh, yeah, but we and Pete we, as well. We talk about mental health and health in general a lot. It's very consistent through lots of conversations that we've had since day one in the podcast. There's loads of conversations, little convers- bits that we've added, and I think it is really important. I've had um, similar experience. Well, I've had comparable experiences to Andy and. Um, when your brain does weird things, it's 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 terrifying because you start to feel like you're losing control and that is a horrible, horrible, horrible feeling to have. And it's really nice to hear a success story with the NHS as well because I have heard not success stories, so it's nice to hear that they are helping people. Yeah, good on you for doing something about it and glad you're feeling better. Yeah. Thank you, Andy. Thank you all for listening. Keep sending your emails to wildonespodcast at cavemedia.co.uk. We love to read them. That's all for this week. If you're listening, leave us a five-star review. If you're watching, leave us a like and comment and remember to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Thank you and see you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.